The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Welcome to your afternoon. It's Rob Port 970 WDYM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Good afternoon, Ben. Happy Friday to you, sir. Happy Friday, Rob. You got big plans for the weekend? Oh, not really. Next weekend, though, I'll be going home. So Where's home? Where's N- home? New All, Minnesota. That's uh, South Central Minnesota. New All? New All? New All? Ulm. New Ulm. New home. Ulm. U-L-M. U- New Ulm. Yes. Oh. It's German. As opposed to Old Ulm. Where's Old Ulm? Old Ulm is, I don't remember where in Germany it is. I think it's oh. southern Germany, but I'm probably wrong about that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. I like how original our settlers were. You just came here and named places. It's the New York. We have place York where... and we have New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have I... Jersey and we have New Jersey. The name not broke why fix it just yeah. put new on it i like what they did when we flooded lake sakakawea right we mm-hmm. built the dam dammed the missouri river flooded lake sakakawea and then we created a we created a new all the flooded community created a new community and we just called it new town really <laughs> that's new how new town, town got its name new north dakota yep that's really called it new town did not super, know that super original people all right mm-hmm. Boy, terrible news this morning. Were you an Anthony Boudrain fan, Ben? Not super big, but I was surprised when I heard it on the radio driving in today. He was not really my, I'm, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not critical of him. And it, it mm-hmm. just wasn't, it wasn't my thing. You know, that sort of travel food thing. It right. wasn't, not really in my wheelhouse. What I watched, though, super talented dude. Um, yes. And what I, what I was impressed with, because I, I always think it's really cool when you have somebody who can take. A medium, and in his instance, like sort of a a food show, yeah. right? I mean, food show. Uh, take it and 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 transcend what it is originally, and turn it into something else completely, mm-hmm. right? And and just so so, it's like it's you're so good at it that you you find an audience and you find appeal far far beyond you know what 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 typically that that sort of an audience gets, right? I mean, it's right. it's a pretty it's a rare thing. Where somebody, I mean, you think like certain sports figures, like like you think of like like for instance of Muhammad Ali, who by the way, President Trump, I guess, is considering pardoning. Muhammad right. Ali. But you think of Muhammad Ali, found became a cultural icon far beyond boxing fans or far beyond sports fans. Right. He wasn't a he Muhammad Ali was an American icon in his time. right. Yeah. And so and so Boudrain, I think, falls into that category where he took a show, sort of a travel slash food show, and turned it into stories basically i mean that that's mm-hmm. what he was fundamentally he was a storyteller right that's right. what it was and and you know so, sort of his jumping off point was food and travel but boy he went so much deeper than that just and and i say that i wasn't even that much of a of i, I didn't really watch a lot of his content but just from the little bit that i saw i did admire that what a right. terrible terrible thing mm-hmm. 61 years old far too young um choosing to take his own life terrible mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it with what's sorry, happened Oh, and I mean, just with what happened this week, this week with him, uh, Kate Spade, the fashion yeah. designer, it just it feels like it's happening more and more, and it's it's a concern. 
Well, a year ago yeah. we had Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, I mean, we've had a number of of uh, a number of them, and it's it's terrible. And you know, yesterday we were talking about the 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 murder slash suicide mm-hmm. um, case out of Fargo, and we were talking about suicide rates, and, and nationally suicide rates are up across the country. Yep. In um, Minnesota, I we were reading a story earlier today. It has gone up from 1990 to 2016, uh, 2016, 40.6% in yeah, Minnesota. North Dakota, North Dakota, the rate, it, we, we jumped more than 57%, wow. oh, which was actually the largest increase in the nation. Um, and I, I think part of why North Dakota, Minnesota got, we got a lot of farmers. Yeah. And I think I would, that come, that downturn in the commodities market. Mm-hmm. I think it hit hard, and you think yeah. about farming communities. Yeah. I mean, those are very rural communities. That can at times be a very isolated sort of life, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you that isolation on top of you, you take it in the shorts in the commodities markets, and all of a sudden your crops aren't worth as much, and your business is not doing well. And please don't choose that. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that um, because we're going to talk about some things today. I, I my first question is I mean, that's my theory. For why North Dakota saw an increase, and I think another, I think another kicker for North Dakota is if you look at our our demographics, North Dakota got a lot more male during the mm-hmm. oil boom. Demographically, we we brought in a lot more males yep. are far more likely to commit yep. suicide than than women. Although in this, I mean, demographically, I mean, it's it's suicide rates climbed across pretty much every demo, every gender demographic, every racial demographic, every um, age. yeah. It's, yeah, it's I mean, it just it jumped across isolated the to one group of people. It's everyone. So I guess my question is why? I mean, why? Maybe that's the question for the audience today. Why? I mean, why did North Dakota lead the nation in this? You know, mm-hmm. why was Minnesota so high? Because I mean, what would you say Minnesota's was forty six percent, something like that, Ben? Forty point six percent. Okay, that's that's a big increase yes. too. Yeah, not that far behind North Dakota's fifty seven percent. So why was Minnesota? Why did Minnesota see such a big jump? Why did North Dakota see such a big jump? Why are we seeing suicide rates go up across the United States? That's my question for you. What are your theories? 701 293 9000 888 Email talk at WDAY.com. Why, are, why is this happening to our communities? We're going to keep talking about that in a moment. I should introduce the rest of the show. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock, uh, State Senator Kelly Armstrong, U.S. House candidate, is going to be on. He's going to give us a quick update about his, uh, his race that's coming up at 1. Um, I think we're also going to talk about some other things like, um, oh, the department. Uh, you know, actually, I think we're going to talk about that next week because I wanted to book a guest on it today from the North Dakota Department of Transportation. They want to increase licensing fees Yeah, in the state of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. So actually, I'm going to have a guest on from the DOT to talk about that. Uh, and we um, – and we'll we'll see we'll see what, why I mean we'll, we'll we'll hear them make the case for that but that's something that they're considering mm-hmm. uh, so we'll talk about that on Monday uh, your phone calls of course seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine email talk at wday dot com so that's my theory Ben about why North Dakota maybe saw such a big hike why Minnesota saw I think a lot of it has to do with commodity prices and agriculture over the last several mm-hmm. years I think that's been a problem uh, I think also you look at uh, in North Dakota particularly we've gotten more mail but this is a national nationwide problem. Not all parts of our right. our country are rural and agriculture. Mm-hmm. That, that can't explain all of it. So, what's going on? Do you think, Ben? See, I I'm wondering if part of it is you know with Kate Spade when um, when it was announced earlier week what that she had taken her own life. 
Uh, they mentioned that she was obsessed with the death of Robin Williams from a few years ago. And I'm wondering if maybe because there is so much exposure to celebrities when this happens that it's just the idea of suicide is much more prominent in the public's mind now. I don't know if that's an yeah. actual thing, but it's something that I've thought about before. Well, because we have, uh, like you said, I mean, there's been a, there's been a, a spate of, mm-hmm. of very high-profile right. situations. Now, there is actually uh, something to that. There is something called the Werther effect. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. The Werther effect. All right. So it's it's named after a, a novel uh, called "The Sorrows of Young Werther" uh, that was published in Europe um, centuries ago. I mean, it's 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 a very old novel. It's by Goethe. Um, it basically what it was is it was um, a very romanticized story about a young man and and any any sort of very i think people have described it as romanticizing suicide right and when it came out um soon after its publication it was published in 1774 so just shortly before the american revolution um just shortly came out uh young men begin to mimic the main character um by dressing in yellow pants and blue jackets so i mean sort of think of it today like uh, like a star wars character or something people dressing up at it like it was it had that level of popularity Mm -hmm. um now in the story he shoots himself with a pistol after he is rejected by the woman that he loves uh and shortly i mean after its publication there were reports of people doing this to themselves like they were of people killing themselves and so the Werther effect, because, I mean, it, it became almost a sort of epidemic across Europe. Now, for a long time, there wasn't anything. For a long time, it, it was people were drawing sort of a, you know, correlative. There wasn't a lot of science behind it, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a phenomena. People were aware of it. Uh, but in the 1980s, there was, they actually did some research into whether or not this was a thing, whether or not. Um, you know, a depiction of suicide or a story about suicide could inspire people to to do this. Um, and it, it it's true. Uh, there were um, scientific results, uh, and and it, the the, the were and the, the guy who actually uh, coined the term the Werther effect was a researcher by the name of David Phillips, mm-hmm. working in the 1980s, and they actually found that suicides and other accidents uh, seemed to rise after well publicized suicide stories you see that that makes sense to me right it it makes sense that you know people see you know somebody they love and they see all the outpouring that happens after somebody who is famous or like they they see this romanticized version of suicide that it just sticks in their mind right and i I, so i and and i think the thing is it's not because I think people jump to a lot of conclusions about that, right? Yeah. Where they think, well, okay, so so a story about suicide is going to make people want to commit suicide. No. I don't think that I don't think that's necessarily true. I think what it could do is people who are maybe already struggling, people who maybe already have suicidal ideations, uh, it may push them over the edge, or it may mm-hmm. inspire them. Thinking, you know, I was thinking about doing this anyway. Now I'm going to emulate. You know, look, so and so did it. Now I'm going to emulate that. Right. Um, and it's, it's to the effect where, I mean, there's actually, you know, like there's, there's been like, um, training in, in the journalism industry about how, how to, how to deal with this. I mean, to the point where there are actually 
journalism codes. In fact, some countries in the world have instituted national journalism codes, um, which which range from certain extremes, like like Norway, for instance, um, has has a a law like a national journalism code. I, I don't know that it's a law; it's mm-hmm. it's a code. Uh, with that suicide and attempted suicide should in general never be given any mention at all. That's how they do it in Norway. Um, in, in more moderate, you know, uh, uh, what is this? Um, in case of suicide, publishing or broadcasting information in an exaggerated way that goes beyond normal dimensions of reporting with the purpose of influencing readers or spectators should not occur. Um, you know, I mean, this is obviously so, but this is this is a real thing. Well, I noticed where, um, the language around how uh, Bourdain's suicide has been reported today. It is very rarely do I see headlines saying that Anthony Bourdain committed suicide, it is he has died by suicide because committed right. sort of has certain implications to it as a word, which I think makes sense to not use it then. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's interesting is that there, there's actually a, um, a, 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 a an opposite effect. It, they call it mm-hmm. the uh, Pap- Papageno effect, and it's named after uh, a character from the 18th century opera The Magic Flute. Mm-hmm. This was a character who was actually convinced not to commit suicide during the story. And actually, people have found that those sorts of stories can convince people who are on the edge not to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think, I think the, the important thing to say, to, to keep in mind in all of this, is that I think what we're talking about are, are vulnerable people. People mm-hmm. who are already struggling, people who are already in a tough spot. Um. And if I, I think I think sometimes if, if they see a celebrity or somebody they liked or whatever commits suicide or they hear a story about it, that could tip them over the edge. On the other side, if they hear an inspiring story of maybe somebody who beat it back, maybe somebody who who struggled with it, it uh, and then chose them. life and and they chose it can encourage them. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what we do. I don't know what we do about it. I mean, I don't I don't know what we do about because in America, we have this thing called the First Amendment. Right. And with, with, with somebody like Anthony Boudrain does what he does. How do you avoid it? How do you avoid talking about it in, right. in that context? Especially right. I mean, because you even say plastered everywhere right now. Here we are, you and I, Ben, on the radio yeah. talking about right. it. Right. And I guess you could say that maybe we're part of the problem, except yeah. that how do we how do we stop? Everybody else is talking about it. So mm-hmm. how do we stop this? So I don't I don't know. In America, we can't put in place anti-First Amendment policies, but maybe we could think about how we talk about this a little bit more. And again, I want to tell you if if you're thinking about this, if you're on the edge. If you've thought about it, if you're hearing my voice, don't do it. Get help. Mm-hmm. More yeah. to come straight ahead. Rob Report, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM. So this this blows my mind. I'm reading this from the Washington Post report yesterday about suicide rates in North Dakota nationally um, spiking. This blows my mind. I don't know that a lot of people realize this. Uh, increasingly, um, suicide is being seen not just as a mental health problem, but a public health one. Nearly 45,000 suicides occurred in North Dakota, or excuse me, occurred in the United States in 2016. More than twice the number of homicides, Ben. More than Wait, twice, twice the number the of people. Number. More wow. than twice. It's the 10th leading cause of death in in America. In people ages 15 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. I mean, when you have numbers like that, I do you think it's safe to call this like a, an epidemic? I, I don't want to be 
hyperbolic, but well, here they actually answer yeah. that. This is this is yeah. from the Washington Post article. Yeah. At what point is it a crisis? Asked Nadine Caslow, a past president of the American Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. Suicide is a public health crisis when you look at the numbers and they keep going up. It's up everywhere, and we know that the rates are actually higher and than what's reported. But homicides still get more attention, which is absolutely true. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. speaking to what we were just talking about in the last segment, you worry. I mean, if you give yeah. suicide more attention, are more people you just gonna... inspire more people yeah. to do it? I mean, that's – I'm not it's... saying that's why the media doesn't doesn't cover it as much. No, no. But, it, but it's just it's – a, it's a tricky situation when you want to talk about such a sensitive issue and raise awareness about it, but do it in a way that is not going to make people who are already struggling consider it as an option. And so how do you talk about something like that in an enlightening way without, you know, stirring those kinds of negative emotions is kind of, that's my big question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is a crisis. Yeah. I mean, I think there's no question about it. Yeah. It's a little bit of a silent crisis. I wonder if part of it, because, and again, talking about the Werther effect, which is sort of suicide clustering or, or the idea of suicide contagion, um, you know, basically the idea that, that one suicide, particularly a high-profile one, will set off copycats. I wonder if, if we're in a situation where social media, because it is, has put each of us in one another's lives mm-hmm. more than ever before. I mean, suicide, it used to be suicide, even, even suicide data, I, I think probably to this day is notoriously hard to track because a lot of times, because people are so sensitive to it, um, it won't get reported accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people will insist that that someone who may be based on the facts pretty clearly committed suicide won't be listed as suicide in order to be sensitive to fa- friends and family. Right. Um, like, like that. So... A lot of times, this data is even histor- I think I think especially so historically, and I think maybe even to this day, is hard to track. Yeah, because I, of that reason. But I, I I think it's become harder to sort of sweep the reality of suicide under the rug with social media, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, especially where, you know, someone if if someone is going to go out, I mean, a lot of times they'll turn to social media to leave like a last message or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. Last year, an old blogging friend of mine, you know, committed suicide and left a left before he made his choice. Left a message on on Facebook. I'm you sorry, know, maybe, Rob. maybe in maybe in a, maybe in another time um, that that's maybe we wouldn't have known what happened. Um, I I don't know, but I think I think in some ways, maybe not in media in terms of media coverage, but in terms of us just being more involved in each other's lives, thanks to social media, it's more visible before, mm-hmm. and and you wonder. If that's driving some of it, um, you know, there's 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 so many factors that it's such a complicated thing. But I think we've got to understand why are we doing this to ourselves, and and why is it happening? I mean, and listen, I, I realize that, you know, every day there's that that steady drumbeat of of negative news attention, and that's just sort of the reality right. of the media. Um, if it bleeds, it leads. Safe airplane landings don't make news. I get that. Um, you look around the world right now; it's a pretty good place to live in. Mm-hmm. The United States is a pretty good place to live in 2018. I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not trying to be dismissive of of, of ongoing and, and lingering and, and new problems that, that we're struggling with as a society, but you roll back the clock and you look at some of the problems you we dealt with in the 19th. 19- 
100 years ago, 25 years ago even. Um, This is a pretty good place. This is a pretty good world to live in right now. Uh, And and you got to wonder why why is it when we have so much, we have so much prosperity, we have so much ease, we have so much that's amazing, that's right in front of us, so much access, so much much more art and entertainment um, and, and information and knowledge. Why why are people choosing this? Well, and I know from just my personal experience uh, with um, mental illness, depression, this is just my own experience. I'm only speaking for myself. Even when, you know, life is good, you have a loving family, um, you live in a good place, uh, everything's good in life. When you have certain um, issues such as depression, it doesn't matter. It doesn't necessarily register with you. And even just the littlest thing can sometimes just make you feel like the entire world is terrible. So I can, you know, even though times are better, if enough people are struggling with those issues, I can totally see, you know, why it is going up. And then it's just a question of why are more people having these issues? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the answers are. Um, you know, maybe somebody out in the out there in the audience has some ideas. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com, or you could tweet me as well. Uh, I tell you what, Pat, let's take a little break. We'll come back right after this. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Now, we've been talking about, um, we've been talking about the, the issues with with suicide and and I mean obviously we had the news about Anthony Boudrain today which is just devastating well a ta- talented talented man um, leaving us too soon like like many uh, notably and but but you know what his his suicide's not any more or less important than uh, someone maybe maybe very few of us know um, mm-hmm. that's that's a tragedy too you know I I, I don't want to see any of this any but we have this you know contemporaneous to this news we also have reports out from the cdc showing that suicide rates across the country have been growing um but i i think we need some context for this um we have certainly they've, they've been coming up but would what, what would you do if i told you ben that the suicide rate that the um the suicide rate that the uh, cdc is now reporting is actually about on par with what we saw in the early 1990s and then going back further the, the 1950s it's on par yeah it's 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 about um yeah it's yeah. it's it's about on par we are at um let's see we're at 21.1 today okay it's 21 it was 21.5 in 1990 this uh, this is the male suicide rate mm-hmm. 21.2 in 1950. Now, we, we've seen trends, both the female and male suicide rates have been trending up since about yep. 2000. But, I mean, you go back, it's, you know, j- j- just a perspective. I'm not saying yeah. it's not a problem. No. no. You, we made, we had some success in the early 2000s where we saw a big drop-off from the 90s mm-hmm. to the 2000s. We saw a big drop-off in suicide rates. I'm not sure why that happened. It did happen. Uh, but... Over the last couple of decades, it's been slowly rising again to the mm-hmm. point where I think it's fair to say it's a crisis right now. But there is some context. 701, I guess the question is, why has it been rising? You know, I feel like over the last couple of decades, America's gotten more. A lot of great things have happened in our country, yep. believe it or not. A lot of great things have happened to our country. Why is it happening? 
701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can tweet me as well, as well Rob Port. Uh, caller, Dean, you're on. What's up? Hi, guys. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of like, OCD and depression and stuff like that in my family, too. And, and um, I'm, I'm kind of like an artist. I, I write a lot of short stories, and, and I write alternative rock music, too. And a lot of it tends to have a, kind of a dark, edgy feel sometimes. And for me, it's uh, very therapeutic, and for a lot of artists, too. And we, we, uh, I like to hope that like, people can like, kind of share in the expression and the release through art instead of uh, thinking about these things in real life, and I think that's really important, too, and that could maybe help uh, some people get into art as well, and I also think the whole, like, uh, boys don't cry, take it like a man-type attitude are definitely outdated, too, so there's some possible maybe things that could help curb things, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you make a good point, Dean. I mean, the suicide rate among men is is routinely four to five times higher than than the the, the female rate mm-hmm. um so so i mean this is an issue that men i'm not i mean the, the suicide rate for women has been climbing too and that's important to talk about too but i mean the rate for men is consistently consistently a lot higher um so this is i mean this this is very much a big issue for men uh and i think some of what dean's talking about the boys don't cry men i think a lot of men struggle with being vulnerable to people and mm-hmm. i i mean i don't know I'm, I'm not a professional counselor i i don't know i i guess if there's any advice i could offer is just to tell you that i i know that sometimes the world can seem like it's not going to get any better right it could mm-hmm. it could just feel like there's not any hope and i'm telling you it doesn't matter what situation you're in there is always hope it can get better um and, and you've got to reach out you know don't don't choose that don't choose to end it keep trying well, what Dean was saying about, um, you know, being creative, having an outlet like, like that, I think is really important, you know, when you are struggling with mental illness, um, if you are having those thoughts, because even just something small, like, you know, painting or making music, you know, having something to work towards just really does, like, it, it's something to keep you going each day. It's something yeah. you give yourself that you enjoy doing to keep going. So I think he's right on the ball I- with that. I wonder, and maybe maybe Dean can comment to this because he's yeah. he's sort of a creative guy. But I mean, you look at at the names: Chris Cornell, Anthony Boudrain, Robin Williams. These are hugely creative people, hugely talented, hugely creative people, storytellers, all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of being successful at that sort of endeavor is opening yourself up to the world. But doing that also makes you extremely vulnerable now dean as, as as a creator yourself i mean do you see that as is maybe these people who are so creative who are storytellers when they open themselves up to the world like that do they make themselves more vulnerable yeah i think that's definitely the case there's a lot of like uh different things going on it seems like you see a lot of creative people for whatever reason seems to have um even on the local level i've seen it with other artists that i hang out with I see a lot of people are struggling with a lot of these mental issues and stuff, and it seems like creativity kind of goes, uh, oftentimes goes hand-in-hand with um, these kinds of emotions and a deep need to express them, too. Yeah. It's a tough thing. Dean, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. I mean, what's what's the say? There's a saying about it, or maybe it's just, it's a truism. I don't know what it is, but... Great art takes great pain. All art is suffer, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's truth in that. But, I mean, 
feelings of hopelessness like that are, are not they're not unique to artists i mean they're not no. unique to, to creative types i mean really you you look at the rates across the country i mean it's mm-hmm. it's um just about anybody could find themselves in a spot where they just feel stuck they just feel hopeless uh and it's mm-hmm. it's terrible now we have seen suicide rates in america that are higher th- than where we're at right now right um but not much higher um you know, so it's, I mean, there is some historical context. We've been here before, you know, but I think the question is what's driving this and, and what can we, what can we do to, to maybe try to hold some of this off? Um, you know, another thing that, that I've been hearing a lot of people say is, is, you know, the decline of religion in the United States. And that doesn't surprise me. I, people who are, I, I'm an atheist personally, but I, I, I understand how important religion is to the religious. Um, you know, religious people for them, right. you know, that 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 congregation, they whatever. I think you could make an argument because one thing that I've I mean, religion is not for me. I'm I'm not a church goer. I'm not real interested in that. I'm but the, in the same the one, camp, yeah. the one part of it, the one part of it that is appealing to me is the fellowship. Right. Yeah. Like that Sunday morning after service, you know, you're in the fellowship hall, you're you're eating donuts, you're drinking coffee, See your friends and neighbors or you're seeing your friends and neighbors. People, I mean, I people you're interacting with people. I remember going to church with my parents and that being my favorite part of the whole day Yeah, was just, I mean, and we'd, we'd sometimes spend an hour, two hours after church, just sitting in there, just shooting the breeze with everybody happened. People walking from table to table saying, Hey, what's up? How's the job? What's, you know, what's your family yeah. up to? You know, I, I mean, and so if, if you don't go to church anymore, what have you replaced that with? Right. And because I mean, we've, we've become a country, a lot of Americans went to church. Most Americans went to church. I think we've become a country. What uh, is it? I, I guess I don't know. Let I haven't look looked up. at the statistics, but there are uh, not, surely not, not nearly as many people are going to church. And so that's, and that's just one form. I mean, there's, there's other things you could point to the decline of, of fraternal organizations. I mean, you talk about like, like the Elks and the Moose and stuff like that. Those, those organizations are still around. Uh, they're not what they were though. Um, and, and so a lot of that we've we've replaced, you know, the churches and those sorts of those sorts of organizations. What have we replaced those things with? For the people who have turned away from those things, what have you replaced it with? You know, I think that's an important question to ask. Have you replaced it with interactions through a glowing screen? Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know that that's much of a replacement. I don't I don't know that that's what you need. So the people, I mean, I, even though I'm an atheist. And even though religion, I, I and I say this not to disparage other people's faith, I completely respect it. I understand that it's important to you. I'm not. I'm not disparaging it. Um, but a lot of people have turned away from church, and and I, I. But I understand there is a sense of community that is built into that. So when I hear religious, even as an atheist, when I hear religious people say it may be a turn, our society's turn towards secularism. Um, I think there may be an aspect to that. Uh, again. I don't know that there's any one explanation to this, right? And but well, there's a lot of things. Talking about religion, I did uh, find one statistic. This is from uh, Scientific America. Since 1999, okay. the fraction of Americans that are no long, that ha- with no religious affiliation has nearly tripled from about 8% to 22%. Okay. And this- but that's still a lot of people with religion. But yeah. I, 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 mean, I, wonder, I wonder how many right. people who, who, still have, who still affiliate themselves with religion, are they still going to church, though? Right. Like you right. say, well, I'm, I'm Catholic. Okay. How often do you go to mass though? Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's the important question. My family was, was Lutheran. Uh, I don't go to church at all anymore. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, not many people in my family do go to church. 
very often anymore outside of like holidays. My parents do um, anymore either. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing as well, because that is a, I mean, that's, there's community there. There's people there. There's fellowship there. And I think there's one, there's, to me, there's no disputing whatever you might think of the, you know, the, the, the ceremony or, you know, the, the, the religious beliefs being preached in, in the sanctuary, um, what's happening in that fellowship hall is undeniable. That's, that's community and that's important mm-hmm. and that's a positive. So that's, it's a tough thing all the way around. Uh, we're going to take another break and then we'll come back and, uh, maybe we'll try talking about something a little bit happier, but it's, this is a tough thing. And, and again, if you're out there and you hear my voice and you're feeling hopeless and you don't know where to go, I, I'm telling you, it, it can get better. There is hope. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And don't don't leave us because we all want you around. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, you can send me tweets as well, at Rob Port. Caller, Karen, you're on. What's up? Well, after trying <clears throat> excuse me, several antidepressants 15 years ago, I found one that works great and still works great. So I would urge people to go ahead and try that, and uh, it could be the answer for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, yeah. Talk, talk to a, a physician, talk to a mental health professional. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do. You know, I mean, if you're feeling, if you're feeling bad, if you're feeling hopeless, there is a lot of help out there for you. I mean, there are a lot of things that you could do and there's no shame in it at all. There is no shame in it. Well, you're no, not alone. It's just like if you're a diabetic, you take yeah. insulin. If you're type one diabetic, it's the same thing. It's medicine. Yeah, there's no shame in it at all. Thanks thanks for the call, Karen. I really appreciate it. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Rob, you're on. Hey, Rob. Uh, just a quick comment, uh, and I don't want to oversimplify this, and I, 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 don't, I don't really know anybody uh, closely who has major depression issues, but I guess the one thing I heard that was kind of profound about 10 years ago, I heard a guy say, you know, in simplistic terms, be light and seek light and you know if, if, the, if the things you're doing and so like if you're making music or art or whatever you're doing if that actually brings more light into your life it's probably going to create you know more positivity in your life you know go, go in that direction if what you're doing is making you more yeah. depressed and bringing you into more darkness and again i'm not trying to simplify this but you know we're in this world right now where we're polarized extremely on everything that we see 40 years ago, 30 years ago, you, you, you only maybe had a little bit, an hour of negativity on TV a, a day. Now it's 24-7. Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, I know I, I pretty much tuned out of the 24-7 drive-by news on the cable news network. I don't watch, I don't watch cable news anymore. I, I do news for yeah. a living, Rob, and I don't, I don't watch cable news anymore. So, Can't I mean, do it. you know, are you spending, you know, my, 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 my point is in, in, in everybody's daily life, are you, are you doing things that are bringing more light into your life? Or, or yeah. is it bringing more darkness? To me, yeah. watching twenty four seven drive by news, that's bringing darkness. Just all negativity. And, yeah. So anyway, that's oh, just my well, it's, yeah. Well, to, mm-hmm. to to your point, Rob. I mean, because I, I I work I work in an industry, and a lot of what I do is is negative. I mean, my job is to is to point out stories. Yesterday, I wrote a story about a sheriff in Mackenzie County in Western North Dakota. He's up for, he's on the ballot next week, and he uh, he had sent some texts that were pretty ugly. 
and I think probably speak to his ability to do the job. You can read all about it at sayanythingblog.com. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, the response that I got from some of his supporters were people saying, well, Port, why do you got to be so negative all the time? And, you know, the thing is, is it's, it's, it's the nature of my job. I mean, my job, unfortunately, it, not unfortunately, I love doing my job. Um, but my job is a, a lot of times, and, and the job of a lot of people who do what I do, our job is to uncover negative things. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that's how we keep keep it accountable. It's, it's not really news. And, and it's unfortunate because, I mean, maybe it should be news sometimes. All, all of the people who work in government, who do their jobs, who are dedicated to their jobs, who aren't corrupt, who are trying to do the right thing, um, maybe that should be news. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of money to be made there. But I, I can tell you that, that in my personal life, one thing that I, I, I try to do and I strive to do, and, and maybe I'm not, a, I, I aspire to it. I'm, Maybe I'm not executing it perfectly, but I try to be really gracious to people around me in my day-to-day interactions. I mean, even even drilling down to the level when I'm buying gas at the gas station, you know, I try to give the person a smile. Uh, you know, I, I try to engage them a little bit um, and try to be nice. I try to hold doors open. I try to be I try to be very very nice to the people around me because what I'm we're all going through the world and we're looking at it through our own little windshields. And I don't I don't know what's going on in that person's life. Right. I mean, even if they're smiling at me, I don't know what's behind that smile. I don't I don't know if it's if it's the woman who's helping me at the gas station and her husband beat her up that morning. I don't know. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and so if, if I could if I could maybe just by being nice, just by saying please, just by saying thank you, just by stopping for me. I, I saw at, at a grocery store, I saw a little old lady. She was struggling with her. It was a windy day and she was struggling with a cart full of groceries. I helped her put her groceries in the back of the car. They didn't cost me anything. You know, and I don't think I deserve a medal or anything like that. But that's what I try to do. If I try to see something that I can I can write quickly, I, I try to do it. You know, and so I, I think to your point, Rob, trying to bring more light in the world, that's the way that I try to do it. Working a, a daily profession where sometimes I, I'll tell you, I call people who work in, in, in state government and they've told me they see my number call popping up on their caller ID and, and they get a stomach ache because they're wondering what questions I'm going to ask them. Um, and that's, that's my job and that's my reputation. And I, in my personal life, I try, I try to be somebody who, who I, I hope, you know, can, can maybe brighten somebody's day a little bit just, just by doing something small. And so I don't know, maybe if we all do that, maybe it would help. I, I don't know. I don't know. I it seems like I agree. I, I, I challenge anybody out there when you're in the, in the grocery store is a perfect example. You walk around the grocery store and force yourself to pleasantly uh, say hi or smile at Every person you see in the aisle, I mean, yeah. you wouldn't believe the people that are shocked when you do that. They, they can't believe someone cares enough to, to say hey, hi. You're, you're, you're sitting in a waiting room. Put your, phone, put your phone down for a little bit. Strike up a conversation with the person next to you. Yeah. You'd be amazed. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, it's cool to talk to other people. It's I I I love it. I enjoy it. And, and by the way, uh, people may people may laugh at this. I'm a bit of an introvert. It's not the I, it's it's not. I do talk radio for a living. I talk with people and I ask them tough questions for a living. I'm a little bit of an introvert. It's a struggle for me sometimes to talk to new people. I'm I'm a quiet guy. I kind of enjoy you know more being a little more introvert or whatever. But I push myself to try to talk to people to try to start up conversations with people. Um, and I don't know, maybe it helps, maybe it helps Rob, but I, I think you're right. Try to, try to bring it. I know it's hard because some of us sometimes have jobs that aren't, aren't like, I mean, I'm thinking like cops, you know, I mean, that's, that can be tough, but. Well, well you know. again, I look at it as, are you, you know, I, I have some friends, they have these news alerts popping up on their phone. If their ringer is turned on, it's every 20, 30, 40 minutes, they're getting something pop up and it's all day long. And to me, 
that's surrounding yourself by kind of dark darkness in a way. Spend an hour a day yeah. catching up on the news. Hey, the, the other thing don't, to, don't, 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 don't yeah. hear the news. I mean, you need, you, there's nothing worse than being uninformed, yeah. but don't surround yeah. yourself with it. <laughs> Well, and and the other thing is, uh, be willing to lose a be willing to lose an argument, not lose an argument, but you know what? Be willing to walk away from a food fight on the internet sometimes too, right? I mean, I'll, I'll see people get in one comment threads on my blog or a comment thread on Facebook, and they're just going at it, and it's just, I mean, they're getting so personal and it's getting so ugly, and I'm thinking to myself, why don't you both just go outside, right? Put your phone down, go go play with your kids or something. I mean, so just, many people opinions are changed when you get into a food fight on the on the internet, right? Oh, Everybody's it never happens. It almost law. never happens. Zero. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly when you're when you're down when you're down to the level where you're just trading insult. No, no. I on the to the counterpoint. I've seen some very nice conversations, and I have seen some minds oh, sure. get changed because sometimes people engage each other and they'll have a good discussion and a good debate, and that's yeah, well, worthwhile. Um, but I mean, if you're down to the level where, where somebody's just made you mad, where you feel like calling them a name or making fun of the way they look or something like that, just put the phone down, go outside. Trust me, you'll be happier in the long run. Right on. Thanks for the All call, right. Rob. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Ben, I liked Rob's advice there. I did too. Uh, what, what I did hear of it. Seek it light bring a little light into the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very good advice. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I mean, that that's the thing that scares me sometimes. I, I go on walks through my neighborhood, and I look at homes, and, and you wonder, like, what's going on in that home? Is everybody in there happy? Or is somebody in there being abused? Is somebody in there being hurt? Is somebody in there in some dire financial straits? We don't know. There's so much that happens in people's life. We look at people, and we look at the way they're dressed, and we look at the way they act, and we assume that we know things about them. And maybe it does. Maybe it does tell us some things about them, but it doesn't tell you everything. You don't know everything. So it's it's a tough world. And I, I just hope, and again, if you're hearing this and you're thinking there's no hope, and I, I keep repeating this, but it's such an important message, there is hope. There is more out there. It, it, it can always get better. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Matt, you're on. What's up? Hey, Rob. How are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, I'm an overall truck driver, you know, and you got a guy who was just talking just a minute ago about smiling. You guys are just talking, you know, about uh, grocery stores and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I sit and drive up and down these interstates and everything and all day long, you know. And I try to wave at people and all that. I mean, sometimes I get a wave back, you know, or smile or something. But a lot of people I've noticed in this country, I've noticed, have just gave up on truck drivers. You know, yeah. they don't, you know, they don't have no care, you know. And, I mean, I try to be nice to people, you know, and everything. You know, move over so they can get on, you know, and stuff like that. But, I mean, where's the limit, you know? Because yeah. sometimes you get drivers that just don't care. Well, I, I, I mean, my question for people like that is, I, I just, what, is, what does a smile cost you? What is a, what is no, a hey, have a, hey, have a nice day? What does that cost you? What is, what is an extra two seconds walking in a building to hold the door for the people behind you? What does that cost you? What is, what's an extra 60 seconds to two minutes? Helping somebody put their groceries in their car. Some mom who's got three kids climbing all over the place. How long does it take just to help her put her groceries in her trunk? What, what does that cost you? It costs you nothing. 
None. Matt, thanks for the none, call. None at all. Yeah. I mean, Matt, like I said, I, mean, I, I wave at people when they go down there yeah. and you know, try to find their days out, you know. But yeah. sometimes you get people that just, they just don't yeah. care. Matt, I got to go. Know, I'm out of time. Thanks true. for the call. I appreciate the call. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Hour two of the Rob Report straight ahead. U.S. House candidate Kelly Armstrong on next. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY 93.1 FM. Hour two. Guiding you through your uh, Friday afternoon. And what I hope will be a very, very good weekend. Um, it was with the first hour talking about Anthony Boudreau and everything. Just, just awful, awful, terrible news. Um, you know, coupled with the fact that suicide is a growing problem, I mean, that's that's a debate we need to keep having. But we're going to move on. We're going to talk some politics now. U.S. House candidate Kelly Armstrong, he's also a state senator from District 37 in Dickinson, uh, joins me now. Kelly, how's it going? Good. District 36, Rob. 36. What did I say? 37? 37. Yeah. I'm an idiot. All right. District nope. 36. I should know better. I should know better by now. Uh, the districts always confuse me, the district numbers. I have to yeah, look up got, which district I, I live in all the time. I have rural Dickinson and the areas around Dickinson, so that's it's, it's uh, we're not on the ballot this year. 37 is, though. Well, speaking of rural Dickinson, your opponent, I think, is trying to paint you as somebody who is, um, well, callous to the needs of North Dakota's rural uh, rural voters, you know, because most of them are very, very tied to our very, very important agriculture industry. Uh, and he's doing it on a couple of fronts. I mean, one, he's kind of painting you as being, and, and you, you know, admittedly, you say you're a Trump Republican. Uh, he is painting you as somebody who is um, indifferent to the risks of President Trump's approach to trade policies and, and the trade war that it could set off. Uh, and he's also painting you, and, and this is, I think, the first thing that I want to talk about. During the legislative session, you, you a while back, during your time in the legislature, I should say, you voted for legislation that would loosen North Dakota's ban on corporate farming um he said that that he has a your opponent democrat max schneider says that he has a uh voting record that shows support for family farms uh in middle class uh, property tax relief he says that you supported legislation to support the ban on corporate farming explain to us what what was that vote because ultimately that that was overturned by voters yeah tell us why, why did you vote for that what bill? we're trying to do with the legislature was actually support family dairy and swine farms um they're very capital intensive First of all, the vote was a very narrow exception to our corporate farming law that would allow dairy producers and um, swine producers to, uh, that would be the only exception. It had nothing to do with any other farms. So, and we can see the numbers. South Dakota's growing their dairy operation. They have more operations. They have more cows. We continue to lose them. Uh, dairy farming is an incredibly capital-intensive business, and we were trying to help our local family dairy farms get more access to capital. And so we, we voted that through. It was, I mean, it was worked through with uh, uh, farmers in the North Dakota legislature, and it, and it got recalled. So then the next session we came and we exempted dairy equipment from uh, from tax the same way we do other farm equipment. And the whole goal is to help support our local farming ranching communities and our local farming, our local dairy farms and our local swine farms. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't an expansion of corporate farming across the state of North Dakota. It was a very narrow exception for only dairy and swine farms. I think it's interesting because in Schneider's well, first of all, I mean, obviously you're arguing voters. It seems like you're arguing voters were wrong to 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 uh, 
No, recall no, that, the process that worked, and I mean, they, I mean, they didn't want the camel's nose under the tent, so to speak. And no, I mean, you never get off. You're never in a good spot arguing the voters are wrong. But our intent and our our goal with the legislation was not to open corporate farming in North Dakota. It was to provide our local far, our local family dairy and swine farms more access to capital and a better and a better way to compete in the, in the in the international market here at North Dakota. So let me uh, – I, I do think it's interesting, though, that Schneider is – I mean, because the way he sets this up is you're either for the status quo in this law, which is which is our – which or at least prior to the legislature's action, a, a ban on corporate farming unless you're, you're blood-related within a, a certain degree of, of, of relation. Um, basically, he's arguing, well, you're either for that status quo or you're against family farmers. But under the status quo, we have seen a dramatic decline – in North Dakota, the number of family farms. I mean, I, I think that's the big untold story is um, I don't know why we're assuming that the status quo is all that good for family farms. Yeah, and particularly in the dairy industry, even since then, I mean, we have less dairy farms and we have less dairy cows. So we need to do what we can to help those guys compete. Let's talk trade now. Um, Senator, uh, Former Senator Schneider accusing you of, of sort of being in lockstep with Trump and being indifferent to the risks. But you're out saying, well, no, uh, we cannot have – and I'm going to – this is from a recent uh, article in the Grand Forks Herald written by my colleague uh, April Baumgarten. She says uh, – she quotes she was saying, you have to say, listen, this is too important for North Dakota to be doing this. Um, this cannot happen. I mean, so that's basically your argument. But what do we do? I mean, because why well, I'm hearing – sort of Republicans say two things at the same time. On one hand, they're saying, well, we got to get tough on trade. we gotta, we got to take China to task. There's a lot of things we need to do there. But on the other hand, a trade war cannot happen. Well, like it or not, a trade war is something, is a tool that China has in its toolbox to respond to us getting tough with them. We get tough with them. They get tough with us. I mean, we can't have it both ways, right? I mean, what, what, what do we do here? How do we, how do we go after China without creating at least some level of risk for, uh, you know, American exporters, including the agriculture industry. Yeah, I mean, and when we're on the ground talking to farmers across the country or across the state, I mean, they actually, I mean, they're supportive of trying to renegotiate better trade deals. And I think, and I don't think it's both ways. I think that the negotiation and getting us better trade deals, whether it's with China or whether it's with NAFTA, is a worthy goal. And I'm glad President Trump is taking it up. Uh, the point is, is we need to understand how important this is to North Dakota farmers and ranchers. It's one thing to negotiate better trade deals, and I think I think they're going to get it done. You're even hearing that from Senator Hovind's office, Congressman Kramer's office, and even Senator Heitkamp's office. So I think the rhetoric is far, far more outweighing what's actually going on on the ground. Our only point is, is yes, we understand that we need better trade deals, and we need better trade deals for our ag producers. I mean, North Dakota is a commodity-based economy. Better trade deals do North Dakota significant good. Um, but the reality is, is we don't want to see this happen. I mean, we don't want to get drawn into a four to five year trade war, trade war in order to that to happen, because just with the drought and commodity prices the way they are now, that that's the concern is on the everybody. I mean, we want better trade deals. Uh, Mexico needs NAFTA more than the United States needs NAFTA. We know these things. We just want to make sure that the negotiate. I mean, we just want to make sure that the administration knows we we support you in your negotiations. We appreciate your effort. But. <clears throat> Let's try and make this happen quickly. We can't be in, we can't be in a situation where this drags out for four to five years if it t- truly would turn into a trade war. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. It, it's it's actually surprised me the level 
to which Trump has become important in these races. I, I honestly thought that Trump, I, 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 didn't, I didn't think that the President Trump was going to be such a political football um, the way he has been. But it, it, it seems kind of funny because I'm watching this, and particularly in the Senate race, but in your race as well. It's, it's like Democrats are sort of scrambling to, you know, to even as they criticize President Trump at some issues like tariffs, they seem to be sort of scrambling to, to align themselves with him. Um, you know, to the point where in the Senate race, we have the North Dakota Democratic Party out, you know, and they're tweeting and saying, oh, look, Heidi, Heidi, they're making fun of Kevin Kramer in this kind of meme type way of saying, well, look, Senator Heike, I've got to stand closer to Donald Trump at this bill signing ceremony than, than Kevin Kramer is. Trump must like Heidi more than he likes Kevin. Like, that's that's what they're saying. I, you remember as well as I do, because you were chairman of the party in 2016, <laughs> that they were calling the president vile. They were saying that he was unfit for office. Uh, but yet now here in 2016, we have Max Schneider saying, oh, I'm, I'm not campaigning against President Trump. Um, what gives there? I mean, that seems very hypocritical to me. It seems like a political expediency to me. Um, I, you're right. I was the state party chairman in 2016. We ran through that election. Um, we did that. And so this is definitely a newfound spirit of cooperation, which will always make you wonder why. But even at the same time, when they continue to say that stuff, um, Senator Heitkamp's co-sponsored a bill that would essentially strip um, President Trump of his abil- of, of reasonable executive authority. And so, I mean, their political rhetoric and their actions still don't match. But, yeah, I think it's very interesting that they want to align themselves with President Trump in, in an election cycle. And I think, I think past performance um, <clears throat> predicates future performance. And as somebody who was the state party chairman in the last election cycle, they were not in favor of President Trump or his agenda. Well, let me, because that's that's something Senator, uh, for, and by the way, if people want to call in with comments or questions, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. You could tweet me, at Rob Port. Um, that, that's something that's interesting because part of, I, I think, what Senator, former Senator Snyder says that he is, he, you know, he, he's not going to campaign against President Trump. Um, I think that's his attempt to sort of paint himself as a moderate, and indeed, in this profile that April Baumgarten wrote uh, in the last week or so, you know, he says again, um, you know, he says, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a moderate. I'm a moderate. I mean, that's that's what he says. Um, you know, he says that the, his voting record is in line with what most North Dakotans want. Uh, now, that's a little tough for somebody to say who just lost their their seat in the state Senate last election when the voters of his own district didn't want him there anymore. Um, and I think it's tough for him to all of a sudden make that argument statewide. But the other problem is, is he is trying to paint himself as a moderate and a centrist. Now, I know you dispute that. You say that in and, and what you just said, past performance is the best indicator of, of future performance. Um, what is it in Senator Snyder's record that we should be looking at that indicates how he'll govern in Washington? Well, I mean, he's never, I mean, he's always voted for more regulation in the North Dakota State Senate. He's voted against every tax cut or the tax cuts that we've passed. You know, he's on record saying he would not have supported the Trump tax cut. I mean, these are things that uh, are not, they're incredibly popular in North Dakota, but they're incredibly popular because they're good policy for North Dakota. North Dakota benefits better than any other state in the nation from the tax cut. And part of the reason it does is because of the tax policy that's been passed in the North Dakota legislature over the last several sessions of which um, Senator Schneider voted against all of those. So you can say things and you can go out and do those things, but you also have, you are on record saying even though, even though you want to be viewed as a moderate, your voting record and your stance on things that are important in North Dakota are not. They're not moderate. They're, they're against what is the best for North Dakota. 
I agree. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Now, uh, Kelly, the, your your campaign released some polling numbers uh, earlier this week that, that show you, you, you're doing pretty good uh, against Mac at, at this point in the race. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're, they're showing, and, and granted, it's early. Um, both of you were state lawmakers, so, so maybe not a lot, even though you, know, you used to be uh, the chairman of the Republican Party. Um, I follow stuff like that. I don't. I don't know if the rank. And, I don't know if rank and file voters can name the chair people of the, of the parties. Maybe they don't care that much. But your uh, your race showing forty. Your uh, your poll, uh, which I believe uh, was was a little over five hundred uh, five hundred nine general election voters in North Dakota. Uh, they were polled earlier this month, May thirteenth through fourteenth. Forty eight percent say they were either definitely voting for you or probably leaning towards voting for you versus 26 percent for Senator Schneider. You look at those numbers, you got to feel pretty good about the race at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I mean, also, again, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a while. So when we do our internal stuff, we don't it's not treated as a vanity contest. We want to know where we're at. So but again, it's early. I'm really proud of the numbers and proud of the team we've got. We've been going all over. We're working hard to earn support. And those numbers are I mean, those numbers are great, but it's early. And they tell me one thing, one that we're doing pretty well. And it tells me that we got to get out and get our message to more and more people and keep convincing them to move forward. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, our, it's it's great. Uh, the campaign's been going well early. We're getting all across the state meeting with people, but the work's really just starting. I mean, we're this is going to be an absolute sprint till November, and we're going we're going to work as hard as we can to take our message all across the state and talk to as many people as 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 time and uh, our energy allows, which hopefully will be all of them. The uh, the other the other place we've got a big lead is in fundraising. Uh, I saw through your pre-primary report you've raised almost a million dollars, nine hundred twenty-eight thousand dollars. Uh, so far in the cycle. Uh, now, $300,000 of that is loans. I believe you've given your own campaign, but even setting those aside, you've nearly tripled what Schneider has raised at 224000 A lot of success fundraising so far. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just you can't, you can't manufacture momentum. I mean, people have been excited about this, and, it's, uh, and we've been able to do it. And, you know, that's one thing doing um, – the state party chair stuff and um, that stuff. We've we've had the opportunity to make connections with people, but I mean, raising money is just like getting your message out. You got to sit down, you got to talk to people. More importantly, you got to listen to what their needs and concerns are, and you just um, give them a reason to invest in you. And I could, I mean, and you, you know, when you when you're doing this, you're always on, you're always out, you're always working hard. But I've I've just it's been really heartening to see the support we have gotten from when we got into this race in late February. Last question. When you're out on the campaign trail, I know you're talking to a lot of people. I'm sure you're getting a lot of feedback from people about the issues that they care about. Any surprises? I mean, any anything take you by surprise that you've heard that, that, that are important to people this election year? I, I don't know if it's surprise, but um, I, it, people are really concerned about the national debt. And it's, you know, it seems like something that doesn't affect your day-to-day life, right? So, I mean, and the number is so huge, it's laughable. So it's, it's very encouraging that people are looking at that and understanding that it's unsustainable as we move forward. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, there's checkbook, there's local uh, issues that affect your local checkbook. I mean, there's social issues, there's all the things that go on, whatever's topical at the time, but uh, people are always bringing up the national debt and understanding not only that is that a financial risk for the country, but actually a national security risk. Kelly, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on, Rob. State Senator Kelly Armstrong, who's uh, campaigning for the United States House, will more, have more here on the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Hey.
Ben, I think it's interesting that Kelly Armstrong is hearing from a lot of people that. And, I mean, the dead issue is something that a lot of people talk about a lot of the time. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that there's an election issue that the national debt hasn't been like a top issue, right? Like, like top five, top ten, like it's, it's always, it's always there. Mm-hmm. People always say they're concerned about it. Not going away anytime soon, it seems like. Well, no, not with the level of debt we have. No. Um, but I, what's interesting about it, though, is that a lot of people like to complain about the national debt. Uh, when you start getting specific about how to pay for it, you're right. Okay. Okay. Well, great. Well, first of all, I mean, b- b- before you address the debt issue, you, you got to address budget deficits. You can't even begin to pay right. down the debt, the national debt, until you're running a national budget that cash flows. And we haven't done that in, I, I don't know, 30 years? Mm-hmm. When was the last time we did that? No clue. The early years of the Clinton administration, I think. Mm-hmm. So we're talking what, like 92, 93, I think? Over 20 years so, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. So I, you know, the the issue is, a lot of people talk about that, but okay. So you say, well, what do we do then? What do we do? Okay. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. You look at, we're gonna have to cut some spending. Right. We cannot. We cannot tax people enough. We no. cannot tax people enough to pay for this. No. We just can't. There's just not enough out there. We've got to cut spending. But who wants to cut spending? Nobody wants to cut spending. I mean, you look at you. <laughs> You you look at, I mean, listen, I, I realize it's like a third rail of American politics. Nobody wants to talk about this. But the reality is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, I mean, these are these are enormous financial drains on our national budget. They are not fiscally sustainable. And you, you know, what's interesting is, is, is even despite the fact, I mean, you look at Medicare in particular, not fiscally sustainable. We can't pay for Medicare. No. Um, but... Meanwhile, I was just I was just reading this article in Politico about how like Democratic campaign operatives have been telling their candidates not to use the term single payer health care. So when you're out on the campaign trail, like like for whatever reason, that that message has been like focus grouped or something and it doesn't play well for Democrats. So they're not supposed to talk about single payer health care anymore. Instead, the term that they're supposed to use is Medicare for all. So when Democrats when, when Democrats want to talk about you know, socialized medicine, that's essentially what it is, is the government nationalizing health care, what they're talking about is they don't want to talk about don't use single-payer health care, right? Because that's a term like Bernie Sanders and people like that use. If Bernie Sanders isn't winning an election in most parts of the country anytime soon. No. So don't use single-payer health care. Instead, use Medicare for all. But I think that's funny because I, I look at Medicare and I see a fiscal disaster. I also see a government program that doesn't work particularly well. Medicare is hugely bureaucratic. It's not all that fun to be on the program. But yet, people, for, for whatever reason, it's, it's, to me, it's a disconnect between reality and the perception in American politics, right? Because And, and Democrats are not wrong. I mean, Democrats are not wrong. Um, what do they call the tech? They call it Metascare. Metascare. Right? So... Yeah, so so every every and you you can see it. It's it's not a top issue right now. Maybe it will be, but you. I mean, every election cycle, you will, you will see Democrats ramping, accusing their opponents, their Republican opponents, of wanting to gut Medicare. I, mm-hmm. I guarantee you, at some point, there will be an ad or there will be some form of political messaging from Democratic candidates in North Dakota and elsewhere 
that will accuse their Republican opponents of wanting to gut Medicare. It's the Medicare thing. They do it every time. And uh, the reason why they do it is because it works. But that's the reality. So, so Kelly Armstrong tells he's out on the campaign trail and he's hearing from people that the national debt is an issue that a lot of people are talking about. Well, great. I agree. The national debt's a problem. But just saying, well, the national debt's a problem, you can't just say that. you got to talk about the solution. It's like saying, listen, I'm, I'm fat, but you don't want to talk about dieting or exercising. Right. You right? need to actually uh, be people putting ideas yeah. on the table of how we fix this as opposed to just saying, yeah. I don't like it. Listen, I'm a big right. fat fatty. I, I know that I am. I know that i got to lose weight. I know what i got to do to lose weight. And I will, I'm perfectly fine acknowledging the fact that I'm a big fat fatty. What I'm not necessarily fine with is, is eating less and exercising. That's... That's where I run into a problem, and that's where we are as a country right now. People love to talk about the national debt. Republicans, Democrats, everybody will talk about deficit spending, and it'll flip-flop, right? Republicans are a lot more upset about deficit spending and the national debt when Democrats are in power than they are when they're in power, and vice versa for Democrats. And they all talk about it, and the reality is, really the problem is, is that the American public wants completely contradictory things. We want big, expansive government that gives us lots of things like Social Security and Medicare and everything else. Uh, And we want to pay low taxes. You know, so we want those things and we want somebody else to pay for them. That's that's the majority position of the voters. And while we want those contradictory things, we're going to simultaneously complain about the national debt. There's the American electorate in a nutshell. How do you like that? More to come straight ahead, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. You know, Ben, we spent the first half of this show talking about stuff that's, well, it's not very fun to talk about. We need to talk about. It's not very no. fun to talk about. No. Suicide no. rates, Anthony Boudrain. Mm-hmm. I'm reading now Charles Krauthammer, um, famed conservative columnist, um, uh, obviously you know, very familiar from his appearances on Fox News as well, mm-hmm. uh, announcing a letter to the Washington Post. He has just weeks to live. Um, oh. He, uh, he had had a cancerous tumor removed from his, um, I, I think it was from his stomach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, it's come back. Um, it's come back very quickly. It's aggressive. He's got just weeks left, so he's gone. So a lot of negative news today. Yeah. So how about we talk about something that's a little bit uplifting? I would love to. How about we talk about the way the doom and gloom that's often predicted in our world doesn't match up to reality? How about we talk about that for a moment? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Thomas Malthus? I have not. Thomas no. Malthus was a was a philosopher and um, I want to say an economist, very early one. Um, he is the school of uh, Malthusian economics. Once upon a time, he predicted that a, that that a humanity would run out of food, that we would reach a point where our population, our population, our global population, outstripped our ability to produce food for it that we would not be able to grow enough food on the planet. And he did this. I mean, he, he sat down and he did the math. He did it based on, you know, the calculations of arable land, you know, the sort of places where we could conceivably plant crops, the fact that some of that land would inevitably be displaced by people living there. Um, he calculated on yield rates, and he, he just came to the conclusion, we are going to reach a point where we cannot produce enough food to feed everybody. Uh, and it turns out he was not correct. What he failed to account for was the ability for humans to invent and innovate and get better at doing things all the time. Where today, I mean, certainly we have problems with hunger 
and, and poverty in parts of the world. Uh, but those problems are typically related to things like politics um, and war and and racism and genocide and, and all of those ugly things and not agriculture. The problem is not agriculture. We could certainly produce enough food to feed everybody. Uh, there's just, unfortunately, other realities that are in the way. What we figured out is we can increase yield rates. We can create crops that can grow in places we didn't think that they could grow before. We can grow more food from less land. We can make agriculture itself less labor-intensive. We got better at doing it, and that's what he didn't take into effect. Now, the, the Malthusians made another dire prediction. You've probably heard of this one, Ben. Peak oil, you heard that? There was a there was an, an emphasis, um, and, and actually, I'm, I'm forgetting what it's called. There was actually another funny name for it. Um, peak oil is, is maybe the more... Um, Basically, it was it was the um, it, it was another. I mean, I'm trying to find it now. Um, it was actually called um, oh, the, it was called Hubbard's pimple. That's what it was called. It was in uh, Hubbard's peak theory, and basically, what it, was, it was peak oil. It was the idea that we were going to reach a point where we couldn't produce enough oil to satisfy global demand. Right? You've probably heard of this. It was a big thing, particularly back, I remember when I was in grade school, being very scared of this. Um, I went to grade school in Alaska, which was, in, you know, obviously it's an oil-producing state. And that was a big thing that we were being taught at the time, is we couldn't be dependent on oil because we were going to run out of oil. We were going to reach a point where we couldn't produce enough of the oil reserves. were going to be tapped. We were going to hit peak oil, and then we were going to decline, and we were going to run out of oil. And we had to find, it created this, this huge urgency, along with climate change, this huge urgency that scared everybody. Uh, and it turns out that they were wrong, too. We never hit peak oil. As a matter of fact, what we got, what we did is we got better at oil production. We got better at natural gas production. Fracking, specifically, and, and techniques like horizontal drilling allowed us to tap into reserves uh, we didn't think we'd ever be able to exploit. Even now, even, even within the course, you look in North Dakota, even within the course of the Bakken oil boom, we got better at it to the point where we required a certain oil price to be profitable to, to drill in most parts of the Bakken, that price has dropped dramatically, which is why even when oil prices tanked, even at the lowest lows of, of the recent drop in oil prices, we had dozens of oil rigs still operating in, the, in, in North Dakota's oil fields. They never went to zero. Unlike the 1980s, where you saw a bust and the number of rigs operating went to zero, you know, we never went to zero in North Dakota. And the reason why is we got better at it. Even on that short of a timeline, we got better at it. And so that, that's happening all the time all around us, is you're constantly seeing these, these negative predictions about things that are going to happen in the future, right? Um, climate change being a big one. I think climate change is a big one. You roll back the clock a decade or so, and you have Al Gore producing a, an Oscar. Did it win an Oscar? I can't remember that slideshow that Al Gore did, An Inconvenient yes, Truth. Did that I, win an Oscar? Yeah, that won an Oscar, didn't it? Uh, let me, I think it was at least nominated. He, he he at least it was at least nominated. He won a Nobel Peace Prize as well. Right, and it was it was basically all these dire predictions about the future that this these awful things are going to happen and we've got to start changing things now. Uh, I mean, at one point Al Gore's on the record predicting that by this time we weren't supposed to have a polar ice cap. Right, we're yep. supposed to have no ice at the North Pole. That's clearly wrong. And it did win for best documentary and best original song. That's not what I was expecting. Yeah, but uh, yes, best it, original it song for a slideshow. All right, right. <laughs> All right. It's me. Okay. Well, 
So it goes. Yeah. So, but but climate change, I, I think, is really it's it's really sort of the the, the Malthusian prediction of our time. Mm-hmm. Is that at some point we were gonna we, we were gonna be on it? We weren't gonna be able to change anything, and the Earth we're gonna have this this catastrophe. I mean, how, how many how many how many like dystopian science fiction novels? How many how many movies and everything else have been based on that fundamental concept that that climate change was gonna cause famine? It was gonna cause natural disaster, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and everything else. All these terrible this, this parade of horribles were gonna happen to us because of climate change. Well, what if I told you that there was a team of scientists from Harvard University that have announced a very simple process, mm-hmm. a chemical process, basically combining a, a cooling tower with a paper mill that allows them to suck carbon out of the atmosphere and turn it into gasoline? Wait, what? Yeah. I, I got to look this up right now. It's a real thing. There's an article in The Atlantic about it published earlier this week by a gentleman by the name of Robinson Meyer. I quote, a team of scientists from Harvard University and the company Carbon Engineering announced on Thursday that they have found a method to cheaply and directly pull carbon dioxide pollution out of the atmosphere. If their technique is successfully implemented at scale, and I should add a point, they've been doing this. This isn't a theory. Yes. They've been doing this. They have a facility that they've actually been operating for about a year now. They've been producing gasoline out of the air. Gasoline, and by the way, even like jet fuel. They're producing it out of the air, mm-hmm. producing literally producing hydrocarbons from the carbon in the air. And if, they could, if, they could, if, they could, if they could get it to scale yep. and they could implement it, they could transform how humanity, I'm, reading, I'm quoting now from the Atlantic, transform how humanity thinks about the problem of climate change. It could give people a decisive new tool in the race against a warming planet, but could also unsettle the issue's delicate politics, making it all the harder for society to adapt. Well, I, it kind of seems to me like it makes it unnecessary for society to adapt. If we can remove, I mean, just think about that, right? Because right now we, we pull oil out from under the earth and we turn it into fuels like gasoline and we put the gasoline in our cars and we burn it and it makes our cars go. And then they emit that carbon, right? They emit the exhaust and the carbon out into the atmosphere. That's how things work right now. Well, what if the carbon that your car emitted was actually just replacing itself in the atmosphere? Because it was pulled, the gasoline in your car came from carbon that was pulled out of the atmosphere in the first place. You would essentially have a carbon-neutral automobile that was still just running on gasoline. It's still, just still your same old car. Well, not only can you do this, I'm looking at uh, same technology, but this is technology review. Um, it says, a new analysis shows air capture could cost less than $100 a ton. That's... That's not bad, too. Well, that's the big thing. I mean, the yeah. thing is, is that these processes are not exactly new. I mean, the, the two right. processes they're using are like like paper mills do this all over the world right now. Yep. Like this is this is not exactly new. They've just figured out a way to, to apply this to carbon in the air. That's the mm-hmm. innovation here. And so it, it, what they've done is they've actually driven down the cost. I mean, it, it, in 2011, they were thinking that the cost of this was going to be like $600 to remove a metric ton of, of, of carbon dioxide. Well, they've improved the process. We're down to $100. At, at which point do we just build these things all over the place? Not only are we sucking the carbon out of the air, right, which which yep. is, I guess is the big problem with, with greenhouse gases and everything. Not only are we doing that, but we're producing a, a, a product that could be sold that we're all already using. Which gets me back to my original point. A lot of times you read in the news, and, and it's, it's again, it's this parade of horribles. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Every day, I mean, every day there's a new article that something in your life is giving you cancer. Your cell phone's giving you cancer. Eggs are giving you cancer. Milk is giving you cancer. Everything's mm-hmm. giving you cancer. Right? And everything, and, and, and the world, with climate change, it's the hottest year on record, and we're all, and everything's going to be terrible, and everything's going to be awful. And what none of that takes into, into effect, what, what none of it takes into account, is the ability of humanity to adapt, the ability of humanity to innovate and invent. I mean, there's really no problem that, in my mind, we cannot overcome with just the right amount of intelligence, imagination, and ingenuity. There's so nothing the last, we can't do as, as a yeah. species. In, in the last segment, we had a caller call in, and he was talking about how, you know, a lot of times people get depressed because they get caught up in all the negative news around them. And I understand that. Yeah. I am part of the media industry. You and I are, mm-hmm. Ben. Um, and we understand because a lot of our jobs is is just focusing on the negative things that politicians do. And, and you know, we trouble draws us like moths to a flame. That's part of our job. That's what people want us to do. You should want us to be doing that. We need to be covering that stuff. Right. But I think a lot of times we pose these problems as if they're insurmountable. I mean, we pose climate change as though it's insurmountable. I mean, the, the big solu- prior to this, the big solutions to climate change were these massive government behavior modification programs. You know, we've got to we've got to use these these massive, brutal taxes to to get people to change their their behaviors, often in ways that were going to be extremely detrimental to our quality of life. I mean, can you imagine if in North Dakota right now, all of a sudden you couldn't just hop in your car and drive to the store? Or, or if, if or maybe maybe it was 20 or 30, 20 or 30, 40 percent more expensive to drive to the store because all of a sudden you've got a massive fuel tax that's on it. I mean, that would be that would be. It would be a big problem for us here. Mm-hmm. And yet, here here we have it. I mean, it's, and, and I'm not saying, maybe this isn't going to be a silver bullet, but gosh, does this look promising? No. But I mean, it's just one step we can take in solving this problem, and more technologies will come along the way. Well, um, I think what it demonstrates yeah. is that this problem is, in fact, solvable. Like, right. not, only did, not only did we identify the problem, but now we're, we're solving it. We're in the process of solving it, and it can be solved, and it can be solved without necessarily, you know, giving up control of your life to somebody else so that they can manage the amount of carbon that you're emitting and all the other silly things that we've talked about over the years. This is it. This is it in a nutshell, folks. This is the hope. This is the this is the shining beacon. I mean, this is this is this is. We need to talk about more about this stuff, and we need to tell more about these stories about how we have overcome. These problems in the past, the diseases that at one point looked like they might, you know, drive humanity into extinction, into extinction that, that we have cured. The problems that we have solved to feed ourselves, to protect ourselves, to warm ourselves, to improve our society. We're doing this all the time, and we're going to keep doing it. Because you know what? In actuality, the world's a pretty great place. More to come straight ahead. This is the Rob Report, 970 am 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Talking about this new technology, and this is amazing. I, I encourage you, there's a great article in The Atlantic about it. I think it's been uh, written about in a number of other places. Um, it's, it's a technology that promises to remove carbon dioxide from the air cheaply. And not only remove it from the air, but also they'll be able to turn that into hydrocarbons, like gasoline, for your car. It's a technology that exists right now. Uh, the, the team behind it, this is a team at Harvard working with a company called Carbon Engineering. Uh, they just published the results Thursday in a Jewel. It's a new American scientific journal um, printed by the same publisher behind the biology journal Cell. Um, 
this this is what they're describing what they've done. What we've done is build a direct air capture process that is, as much as possible, built on existing processes and technologies that are widespread in the world. Uh, That's according to David Keith. He's a professor of applied physics at Harvard, and he's the lead author of the study. He says, that's why we think we have a reasonable possibility of scaling up. Um, I mean, mean, because that's really the most amazing part of this is they they didn't just invent something new. They don't have, like, some new ray gun that they invented that's like proprietary technology. I mean, we're using processes and technologies that, for the most part, already exist in the world, and they're just kind of sort of combining them in a new way. It's about making it more efficient and cheaper to use, so it can be used as a solution. I mean, they can do this. They can literally create gasoline out of thin air. They're already doing that. Now it's a race to see, well, how, how cheaply can we do it so that we can scale this up and turn this into something. Now, this could be very disruptive. Mm-hmm. This could be disruptive for the oil industry in North Dakota, right? I mean, if all of a sudden we're, you know, we're, if we're making oil out of thin air, out of out of the carbon in the air, then why do we need to pump oil up out of ground? Or why do we need to pump as much of it as we do today? I mean, that's a fair question to ask. It may be disruptive to that industry. And you know what? If it is, so what? This well, is, if, this, if this proves out, this is a better way of doing it. If I was an oil company, I'd want to invest into that technology myself. So that Get way ahead start, of it. Yeah, start making that money back. Well, guess, guess who already has a lot of refining capacity? Who? The oil industry. Yeah. Yeah. They already have a lot of the stuff in place to do that. The pipeline, because I mean, you're still going to need pipelines when you produce the gasoline. You're still going to have to move it around the country, and you're still going to have to refine. Right. You know, There's still going to be some refining that's necessary. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this that, yeah, the oil industry is already good at. And I'm, see, I'm sure you'll see some players um, drift over. But, I mean, again, this is the advancement. And as, as we head into the weekend, you know, it's it's Friday afternoon, and, you know, it's 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 been sort of an ugly day. You know, with Anthony Boudrain, we've got national news about suicide statistics going up. Um, and it's, it is. it is. I mean, it's, it is a constant drumbeat of negativity. All we hear from politics, all we hear from the media is negative, negative, negative all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm telling you, folks, things are pretty good. America in 2018 is a pretty good place to live. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better place than it was even a decade ago. I think even 20, 30, 40 years ago, it's a lot better place to live. We are constantly figuring this stuff out. And, and all the time, I mean, there are always going to be the people in the world who make a lot of money and get a lot of notoriety telling us all the things that are going to go wrong. The Malthusians, as I like to call them. Going back to Thomas Malthus, the guy who's who thought that we would eventually run out of food to eat. Not taking into account that we would get better at agriculture, get better at farming. You know, it's actually interesting. If you go to Washington, D.C., Ben, mm-hmm. and you stand under that that famous dome of Congress, right, the rotunda? Right. If you go there and you look up, underneath that dome, there's actually a mural painted under there. Uh, the painting of the mural is called the Apotheosis of Washington, which is a little bit weird. Um, in a country like ours that, that eschews kings, that we would be have a, a pure uh, a a mural depicting um, George Washington's uh, transference into uh, a, a deity, mm-hmm. right? which, which is sort of what apotheosis means. But in that mural, it's kind of interesting because they have a number of sort of icons of of different aspects of American history, at least from from the perspective of the time that that mural was printed. Um, among those, I, and I, I always think that this is so interesting because among them, and it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb a little bit, but among those depictions, those icons, is the McCormick Reaper. 
which is an agriculture implement yeah. that that revolutionized agriculture. Which is which is one of the innovations that we're talking about that, that actually allowed us to not fulfill Thomas Malthus's prediction that we would all starve to death because we couldn't produce enough, produce enough agriculture. The McCormick Reaper was one of the innovations, one of the one of the one of the inventions that allowed us to to not fall down that trap. I mean, American history in partic- in particular, I think, is the history of of, of innovation. I mean, because we. We created, I, I think, one of the first truly free market environments, about as free a market as ever existed, to allow, you know, and, and when I say free market, I'm not talking about anarchy. I am talking about a marketplace that is protected by the rule of law, where people, no matter who you are, are, are generally, and I, I say no matter who, obviously we've had problems with, with women not being included, with uh, racial minorities not being included. Those things aside, generally, freer Certainly, than the, the previously known in history, where people could go out and invent and innovate and make the world a better place. Why does America, despite not having anywhere near the largest population of, of a country in, in, in the world, why do we have the largest economy in the world? Well, it's for that reason, because a lot of the innovation, a lot of the invention that's happened here. That's why this stuff is so important. If, if you allow free people to per- pursue the problems to pursue the solutions to problems in their lives the great things happen and they happen all the time so i i don't know as you can tell ben i'm a little excited about this uh this no, new technology I, I think it's great no this this if we can get this working cheaply and effectively i yeah. i think this is a great thing there's another there's another really cool invention i yeah. want to talk about real quick before we end the yep. show robot traffic cones <laughs> robot so like that robo cones wheels or yeah so have you ever run into this problem where, where it's like construction on the interstate and all of a sudden you're driving for miles and miles and there's no construction going on, but there's like miles and miles. you got to drive slow and there's traffic cones everywhere. Right. The yeah. reason that happens yeah. is because putting out those traffic cones, it's really expensive. It takes a lot of time. The robot traffic cones move themselves on and off the road. You're kidding that, me. It's another great invention. Look it up. Hey, that's it for the Rob Report today. I'll be back next week. Jay Thomas Show straight ahead. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.